This is Lego Football. Thanks for joining us on the Lega Football Podcast. Here with your host, David Farini. I've got Giancarlo Rinaldi, revered Italian football journalist, with me today. Let's move to Serie B and former Serie A side from last season. They didn't do too well. And you talk about Venezia a lot on the Rigore Pod. We'll give that a quick plug at Rigore Pod on Twitter. And you can find them all over the platforms. So Giancarlo uh, doing great work there. Tell us about your Cugino and Venezia, though. What is happening there? Because they've had a good run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been normally, I mean, we call sometimes the Rigori podcast glum and glummer because it's, <laughs> uh, it's I support Fiorentina and he supports Venezia. So, you know, it's just, it's like a contest to see who's the more miserable come Sunday night. But um, actually, in recent times, Fiorentina haven't been playing and Venezia have gone on a bit of a tear. It's 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 coincided with a change of manager. They had um, a guy Yavorcic uh, in charge who he just permanently looked miserable. I don't know if he was, but he had one of these sort of hangdog expressions, a bit like the old cartoon character Droopy, if you remember him. And uh, he just always looked always looked upset. Um, and and by and large, he had a right to be because Venezia's form was pretty terrible. They got rid of him and brought in Paolo Vanoli, who, you know, um, older listeners will remember. He was at Fiorentina, um, also at Rangers in Scotland as well. Decent decent player in his day um, and now appears to be a not bad manager as well. He certainly started to get a tune out of um, Venezia. Poyan Palo, their striker, started scoring goals. They just look, they look more of an organised unit. They had a setback through the week they lost to Perugia which um, you know was a game that I think Marco would have expected them I think everybody would have expected them to win but Serie B is that kind of league where the game where you expect them to win they lose you know it's not that's not just Venezia that's every team in the league I think really there's nobody you know Frosinone sit top but even they've had their setbacks. They they lost to Genoa recently, you know. So nobody's nobody's running away with that league. And so and so Venezia from being you know looking like they could do the double drop and and go straight down like a rock through 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 Serie B and and into Serie G um, have actually steadied the steadied the ship a bit and and now look. A team that certainly shouldn't be relegated. You know they had too many decent players really to to get relegated. You know, but certainly they're they're firmly mid table at the moment. And if they can get a couple more wins, they would actually be you know within touch and distance of the promotion playoffs. So you know it's it's been a <laughs> it's been a hard watch at times. I think for Marco it would be it would be fair to say. But um, you know they've they've started to clamber their way back up up the table and uh, hopefully it's uh, it's the sign of more cheery podcasts to come in future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Well, their form was disgusting. They lost, well, they had a, a, a streak without any wins that lasted six games. Then they had four games undefeated. They beat Palermo away. They won against Ternana, which is no easy feat at home. 2-1, so that was their first home win for a while. They drew away with Modena 2-2. A decent win at home over Cosenza 2-0, but then the 2-1 loss away at Perugia. They've got Parma next, which is a difficult game. Venezia at the moment in 16th spot on 19 points, and they are languishing just a little bit. So 
but with a bit of hope now, as you said, because they were rock bottom with Pedulja for a while. So that technically is a six-pointer, that 2-1 win for Pedulja over Venezia recently. And, you know, the current standings uh, will just run down Serie B while we're here. Uh, down with Pedulja at the bottom uh, is Cosenza on 17 points. Cittadella not having a very good season. They've lost three on the trot now with 19 points. Como have instigated a little bit of a comeback. They have had a really poor start to the season, considering that the the backing that they have, the ownership there with the uh, Mola TV and the Indonesians behind them, uh, you know, they've got Fabregas and they've got Cutrone and uh, some really big players there. Uh, I love their captain, uh, Belemo. He's an absolute machine in the midfield. Venezia with Como on 19 points and Cittadella now. That is the bottom five. And just above them is Spal and Cagliari, which is shocking for me. Another one that really stands out for me is Benevento, who were great last season. I really like Acampora there. They've got Francesco Forte now, ex-Venezia. Uh, Palermo looking okay now because they've gone four without defeat. Probably the most impressive of the bottom half of the table in recent weeks, though, was Venezia with three wins from the last five. Uh, no other side has matched that in the bottom half. But at the top, you know, as you said, Frosinone, led by Fabio Grosso, an absolute legend in the eyes of Azzurri fans, uh, Italy fans, and they've just lost their first in a while. Uh, one loss away at Genoa. Genoa weren't looking too great, but they've got three good results recently, two out of three. They've won now on the trot, and uh, Bari getting a string of good results. Regina, look at those top five signs we've got. Frosinone, Regina, Bari, Genoa, and Pisa. Pisa were rock bottom just yeah. a couple of months ago. 26 points now, fifth place. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that's been the most amazing transformation. It's a, I think it's a typical Italian redemption story at Pisa. If you, I don't know if you remember last season, they had a good season under uh, Luca D'Angelo and got into, the, got into the playoffs where they ultimately lost out. And his reward for getting Pisa to the playoffs was to be sacked. Uh, well, to, they, they ended and so they brought in Rolando Maran. They promptly then got knocked out of the Italian Cup and managed two points in his six games in charge. So what happens in Italy? You phone the man you had before and sure enough, uh, Luca D'Angelo's come in and I, I don't think they've lost a game since he's come back in. I think they've... Yeah, it was hard uh, to let him go. Uh, yeah, I think it was only it's only been wins and draws since then and they're right back up in the in the playoff contention. You know, it, it, people who are um, sort of um, fans of Italian football literature may remember D'Angelo from the miracle of Castel di Sangro. He was a he was a player at Castel di Sangro, the the side in the in the nineties that um almost got into Serie A with a population of uh, 7,000, I think it is, and, and that great book by Joe McGuinness. Um, so that was D'Angelo's claim to fame up until now, but uh, at Pisa, he's doing a great job, and he's got, I mean, if there's a case, if there ever was a case of nominative determinism, your name deciding your fate, Ernesto Torregrossa playing <laughs> up front for Pisa. I mean, we had to have the man whose name means big tower. The big tower. <laughs> play, playing for Pisa. It, it was meant to be. Um, so, you know, I, 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 although in, in Tuscany they have a rather cruel saying about people from Pisa, which is... Um, 
better a dead man in your house than a peasant at your front door. Um, it's it, I've got a soft spot for Pisa that goes back to the back to the times of Romeo Anconitani in charge, and when Paul Elliott was there, and Cholo Simeone as well at, yes. at Pisa back in the day. You know, so they've had some great names at the what was the Arena Garibaldi. I think now is named after Anconitani. Yeah, it is the eccentric president that they had used to um, sprinkle salt on the pitch before games to to, to ward away evil spirits so um, you know it's, it's nice to see as I say it's just typical of Italy that um, you give someone the boot and then you bring them back it's a it's a classic Italian story really I don't know how many clubs we've seen over the years that um, usually for financial reasons um, sack someone and then they realise they've still got them under contract and say oh well we better bring him back because it's not actually worked out and it's amazing the number of managers that shows you the, the sort of the, <laughs> the need to get a job or whatever that do come back and you know not always, but this time certainly, you know, it, it felt like D'Angelo was was hard done by at the end of last season. He was. And, you know, it's proved to be the case that, they, you know, you can only think that if they'd actually kept him in place, they'd probably be even further up the up the league table than, than they are. Um, yeah, so, you well, know, they're not far off. Yeah, and as I said, but that's been based on, you know, they wrote off six games at the start of the season, two points from the first six, I think. You know, it's, yeah. that's 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 Serie G form. Um, but now they've must have taken, you know, 24, 25 points off off the next kind of seven weeks. So it's it's an impressive it's an impressive turnaround and all all credit to him for doing that. But I, I, we say this every week on the pod tough tough league to predict anything and you know and just as easily Pisa could go on a run now where they lose you know or they don't win for four or five games because every team in that division is tough as old boots and you know, no, nobody will give you nobody will give you the points easily there's no game I don't think any um, club looks at a game and, and says Yo, you know this is going to be easy if you look at Daniele De Rossi that was brought in at Spal and how tough he's found that you know he's only just started to win a couple of games recently but um, you know a man of his reputation and, and I think in fairness he knew and he's not frightened of a scrap but um, you know that that certainly is a, a tall order and the, you know it's no respecter of of reputations at all and you know you pointed out Cagliari there sitting mid-table you know, can be as big a name as you like but in, in, in Serie B nobody's going to give you any points for free you're really going to have to work um, very hard to get to get the win so I mean credit to Pisa that you know they've managed to put together a, a really strong run of late to get themselves up onto the, the, the kind of the edge of the, the promotion fight yeah the struggle is absolutely real in Serie B and look at Angelo superb coach he was there from 2018 I believe and he got Pisa the combination of getting to that playoff against Monza, Monza overcoming Pisa in Pisa in that uh, second leg. That was a big effort in, in itself, which merits Monza's position in the top division now. But D'Angelo brought back in for Maran. It was a good reappointment, we could say, maybe a masterstroke. Maybe that was the plan to <laughs> something or <laughs> I don't know what the, they were doing at Pisa at the start of the season, but maybe they thought that there was a it was time for a change and they went with it. But yes, the great Castel di Sangro with uh, D'Angelo playing there back in I think mid to late 90s. So 
great story there for those who want to look that up. Good, uh, good spot there from Giancarlo. But going through that top eight is another side that was down the bottom at the beginning of this season, Sutirol. And you mentioned a name before, Ivan Javorcic, and he was the coach of Sutirol. He got them promoted to Serie B at the beginning of this season. I guess when you bring up a small club that's never been higher than the third division, you finally get them there, and then one of the bigger clubs, especially one that's just been brought down from Serie A, comes knocking. You're always going to take that job. And he went to Venezia. I interviewed Javucic just before he took the Venezia job, and he was talking about the aspirations for Sutirol. Everything you said came true. He's just not part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that was great. He did a fine job of predicting the future left. Maybe he knew that he had to leave to make them a success. I don't, I, I, I don't know. But you know, it's it's a, it's quite a it's quite a story that I think because you know if if there is an unfashionable club in the top half of the division, I would say. That was that was that was probably it. You know, I mean, I think there's there's not much there's not much doubt that nobody, um, not many people outside of of Italy would would pick out Sud Tirol as the as an outstanding team in Serie B. But they've they've proved to be. I think that's what we're saying about just you know a tough a tough unit a, a well organised unit and that you know that will get your results undoubtedly in Serie B and the, and they've they've taken a few um, big scalps along the season so far just by by being a, a well a really well drilled well organised side. And Venetti is playing them in a few weeks. It's going to be in Venice, but Sutirol, they brought in some decent names. And for those of you who want to find out more about Sutirol, you can find this on the Lega YouTube page and uh, also back down the list of the Spotify uh, pod list. You'll see the interview with Ivan Javocic and we go through some of the records that he broke. I mean, they were the best team in Europe technically in terms of results for much of last season. And we saw Tednana do that the year before with Cristiano Lucarelli, who's been let go of recently. Tednana sitting um, still in eighth position, equal with Suturo. But Suturo, phenomenal stories. It's unbelievable how such a small... If you ask the average fan to tell you where Sudtirol is, they probably think it's down in Calabria or near Potenza or something. But obviously Sud means southern or south in uh, Italian. So Sudtirol... Right up near the Austrian border, it's part of the Tirol there, up near the Dolomite Mountains. It's in a, a city called, or a town called Bolzano, where they speak more German than Italian. And they brought in some half-decent players, you could say. I mean, I'm probably not doing them justice, but they're now coached by the ex-Cosenza coach, who miraculously saved those uh, Southerners last season, the Lupi of Cosenza. He managed to save them in the playout and send Vicenza down. Bisoli is there. His son plays with Brescia at the moment. Pierpaolo doing a wonderful job. They've got uh, Matteo Rover, R-O-V-E-R, you know, just like the dog's name. He's <laughs> got four goals. Uh, there's also some other decent names there. Kaziragi, mm-hmm. a 29-year-old uh, called uh, Daniele Kaziragi, a couple of goals there. Hans Nicoluzzi Caviglia uh, from Juventus now with uh, Sutirol. He's doing okay. He's got a couple of goals in uh, 16 games. They brought in Siega from Pisa. Odogu, who's still there with six goals. Uh, they brought in Careta. I think he came in from Perugia. You've got at the back uh, Dorazio, who came from Ascoli. He's 32, but he brings that experience. Uh, Filippo Berra came from uh, Pisa. 
in the summer, and he scored a goal in that playoff with Monza. So these are some really good players. You'll remember one name in particular. He's 36, and he used to play for Genoa. He's been around, I'll tell you now, Andrea Maziello. <laughs> a lot of Genoa fans would have been relieved to see the back of him. He spent a ton of uh, games at Atalanta as well and Bari, and uh, he had a little bit of a name. He had a brother as well, I believe, uh, the Maziello brothers we used to go by, but I'm not sure what happened to his brother. Might have to Google that while we're having a chat. But um, yeah, really, really good performance from Sutterol. They're in seventh place and they've got 26 points, along with Parma, along with Pisa, and along with Tanana. So Tanana, they're not exactly a surprise packet for me because they play very attacking football, apart from the one game I've done of theirs in Serie B for commentary this year. For the Serie B world feed, they drew with Brescia in probably the worst game I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Neil Old, I think there was one shot on target in the whole match, and I had to go to a lot of historical facts and figures to bide my time while doing that game. So after talking up Serie B for so long, and I finally got to do a Tadnana game this season, after doing the Coppa Italia game that they scored five against Bologna last season, I then got the Neil Old. With Brescia, so it's it's the commentator's curse. I think the, the 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 reverse happened to me with a preview that I did of Hearts against Fiorentina, and uh, at that time Fiorentina couldn't buy a goal in Serie A, and so I was say misfiring Fiorentina, hope to kickstart their season. Well, I mean, I think they, they scored. I don't know, was it eight goals over the two games against Hearts? They certainly they certainly would have hoped to play Hearts every week, but you know that. So the, the the strikers found form then. I think it's just sod's law that you know if you if you big up a game for goals, it'll almost certainly be nil nil. And if you think that a game is going to be, uh, you know, all your expertise, all your knowledge tells you that um, you know it's going to be a, a a tight one and not much will happen. Then then you get the you get the three three draw. It's just it's the it's the nature of the beast. I think. Yeah. Speaking of three three draws, there was a period where I actually commentated a few 3-3s and I'd walk out the commentary booth and the other commentators would be looking at me like, what, how do you keep getting these 3-3 <laughs> draws and we're getting the nil-alls? So it was just, you know, it was a golden patch for me. But just going back to Maziello, his brother, Salvatore Maziello, who actually played with Venezia for one whole game. So I've just uh, done a bit of data science for you. Um, so looking at that top four, Genoa there, we can't leave them out, and Bardi, who started off in tremendous form, especially coming up from the third division. Genoa coming from the other direction, from the first division. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, both are, are within striking distance. They have 30 points. Frosinone with 36. And we're more or less halfway through the season with 18 games played. So four losses for Frosinone. Only two losses for Bardi. And... That's quite good from 18 games. They've drawn nine games, and that's probably why they're still a few points away from Frosinone. But in terms of losses, they have the best record, the side that's just come up from the third division, and they've scored 29 goals. They've scored as many as Regina and Pisa, a goal machine now as well. Our assessment here, a little analysis as we look down the stats, it's, it's quite interesting to see that Cosenza has the worst defence, and that's no surprise on the back of last season as well, where they scraped through. Uh, Perugia, dead last place, only 14 goals scored. So, you know, the correlations there. And Frosinone only scored 25, 
but they've only conceded 11 and that's why they're number one. They have the best defence in the league and that's legitimately what gets you through in Serie B because not too many teams score many more goals than what they concede and it's all about mathematics at the end of the season to see who scrapes in, who goes up, who sort of mulls around that mid-table area and gets another chance. Benevento are the big disappointment for me. They have had a decent run lately with two wins and a draw thanks to Gennaro Alcampara, the ex-Spezia man, getting a couple of goals for them. So he's a class midfielder. He should be playing Serie A. He's one of my favourites in the division. Modena, quite a good effort with 22 points as well. Cagliari, shocking in, in terms of what they could be bringing to this league. One of the favourites to bounce straight back up to Serie A. They're in 14th place, just one above Spal, who are one above the playouts relegation zone. So what do you make of Cagliari? I, I, I don't know what to make of Cagliari, really. You know, they, they just, you know, you get that feeling of a club in or a club that's really just struggling for identity. I always thought they had quite a strong identity and quite, but it just seemed to, at the moment, they seem to lack direction. And you know, the the results reflect that. Really, they've been really, really poor and and disappointing. And you know, and I, I don't know. You can't quite put your finger on what the what the cause is but you know a, a, a club of that size of that stature should be should be much higher up the division but i think i think it's maybe one win in the last five or something like that you know the form is the form is poor they keep finding a way not to win really that's the, that's the that's the worrying thing other than against perugia um, where, where they did manage to get a victory, they just they just seem to find a way to either draw or 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 lose games really, and you know that that's that would be a concern. The concerns know? at the back for me because twenty three goals conceded at this stage of the season for a club that's come down from Serie A into the second division, and Serie B isn't renowned for you know producing loads and loads of goals. You do get your high score lines, but twenty three goals conceded in 18 games simply is just not good enough. Rosinone at the other end of the spectrum have only conceded 11 in 18. So that's where you need to be to go back up and Cagliari just leaky at the back and they're not much better than a Perugia who's conceded 24 and they're dead last. Cagliari conceded just one less. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's bad news. I mean, I'd like the, the, the Fabio Liverani that's in, in charge is an ex an ex Fiorentina player. I've always got a soft spot for soft spot for former Viola, but he's he's got his work cut out to to get them back up the table. It, all's not lost because it is a tight division as we've said, but you know it's certainly the, the, the vibes at the moment are not are not great. They don't give the feel of a you know, a kind of Serie A club in waiting. Uh, they, they, they more give you the feeling of a club that might be in the in the doldrums for a wee while. I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong for for any Calgary fans listening. But um, you know, they they just they don't seem to be all pulling in the in the right direction at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end, we've got three teams from Emilia Romagna there this season. We've got a few that are from the south as well, a couple are from Calabria. It's a good mix in there. Sardegna's represented. Sicily have another team in there, finally, with Palermo back. Tarantino, Alto Adige, the Sud Tirol are there. Tuscany, only the one side. There's a lot of Tuscan uh, teams that are in Serie A. So uh, Lazio have Frosinone there. We've got some of the World Cup stars of 2006 there. We've got big players that used to play in Serie A or Serie B, Christian Bucchi at Ascoli, 
We've got Fabio Cannavaro, the capitano of the World Cup winning side. He's the coach of Benevento. Got Fabio Grosso with Frosinone. Alberto Giladino, technically a caretaker coach at Genoa. Then we've got Eugenio Corini at Palermo, crafty midfielder back in his day. Fabio Pecchia with Parma, another good midfielder, played with Napoli, played with Juventus. We've got Pippo Inzaghi, Regina, who are doing quite well in second position. And of course, Daniele De Rossi at Spal and Paolo Vanoli, quite a good player with Fiorentina. He scored that, uh, he used to score some crackers. I remember one volley in particular, good left foot on Vanoli about 20 years ago. Am I right there? <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably, yeah. At I've, least that, I think. I've just interviewed Hakan Suka, the ex Inter and Parma striker, and uh, he does make note about how good footballers were 20 years ago compared to some of them now that we see. And I think he's talking about on overall quality per capita, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's interesting to hear from uh, one of the legends of European football, you know, Turkey's all-time top goal scorer and Galatasaray's uh, top goal scorer. And, you know, he played in the big games in in the Champions League as well against Manchester United and Barcelona. And he's got Mm -hmm. a take on modern-day football compared to, uh, you know, football of his generations 20, 30 years ago. And I guess for a lot of us, the golden generations were sort of pre-2010. I guess there's some good memories there, of course, because Serie A sides used to play, well, they were more competitive in Europe as well. But that's up and coming on the Lego Football pod as well. So Hakan Sukas actually in, I'll just say this, he's moved on to the USA in the past few years and he's not allowed back into Turkey. And uh, there's some political ramifications from some of the things that have gone on in the past. But getting back to Serie B, um, any any teams that you think, it's so hard to predict, but do you think Frosinone and Regina can hang on here? The Regina's three points above Bari in general? I think so. I mean, I think their, their form is good enough and they've got two of the best managers in the division. I've spoken about this to Marco before, that, that Inzaghi maybe as a man for Serie B seems to you know, just know that inside out and get the and get the job done. Not so long ago I listened to an interview with Liam Henderson, Scottish player who's played under Grosso and he had he had nothing but good things to say about him and the kind of the style that he wanted to play and it suited it suited Henderson down to the ground. So, you know, I think you've got two men that know they know football, but they know the reality of Serie B very well, and they do have you know good playing squads as well. So, I'd expect them to be at the business end come the end of the season. Maybe not one and two because, as I say, it's such a tough division. But I'd still expect them to have a say in who goes up to who goes up to Serie A come the end of the come the end of the campaign. Sure, and it's not even beyond Venezia albeit their defensive record, to actually get a string of wins and somehow find themselves in the top eight. It's not beyond them. And Como have lots of firepower amongst their ranks. And these are two teams in the bottom five. I think it's probably beyond Cittadella, Cosenza and Perugia at this stage, though. Spal, I don't think they've got enough. Pep Clotet moved on to Brescia. They're okay. They're two points just outside of the eight at the moment. So we're halfway through. It's uh, Frosinone, Regina, I would say the favourites. Frosinone are six points away from Bari and Genoa, who occupy equal third position. Then the other sides there, probably not as potent, your Pisa's, Parma, Sudtirol, Ternana, all with 26, that occupy fifth to eighth. Ascoli, 
they will be in calculation once again. They made the playoffs last year. They're on 25 points in ninth. Boreshin with 24 points in 10th under Clotet, like I said before. Palermo with Corini. They've got Matteo Brunori. We can't not talk about the Sicilians there. They're doing okay. Two wins and two draws in their last four. So they're back up. They had a, a big lull. They've conceded 21, only scored 18. And they're not performing to the same degree as like a Bari is. I think Bari recruited quite well in the summer and we'll see if they make a genuine push because I'm not sure the De La Rentes family wants them in Serie A to be honest because they also have control over Bari so <laughs> we could see another Lazio Salernitana Lotito situation here and uh, Yervolino will come and swoop up a, a really good decent second division club for, for a pittance next season if, if De La Rentes doesn't get his plan in action I'm sure you know, given that he's done so well with guiding Napoli up from the bottom divisions, bankruptcy, a Phoenix club from the ashes and really good frugal player signings over the past 15 years. You know, they're buying players at 5 million euros like a Lavezzi, you know, moving them on for 35. Higuain, they made 60 on him or 55, whatever it was. So I think he's probably already thinking about that now, whether they'll have a big January window. We don't know. We could even see the likes of... Gaetano, who's not getting much game time at Napoli, go down to Bari. You know, he got Cremonese out last season. So, you know, with Fagioli, of course, and Carnesecchi and Ocoli, these other great players. But Bari have what it takes, I think. Uh, Benevento, I think they need a good run of games in 12th position underneath Palermo. But your take on Palermo, we'll just, Matteo Brunori, is he impressing you? Have you seen enough of the... Brazilian-Italian, called up by Mancini as well. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think Palermo's a, another big club. And we, you know, I mean, when certainly in recent times we've seen they've been regulars in the in the top flight. So for them to be in Serie B is, you know, bad news for them in recent times anyway, you know. And, and I've not seen a huge amount of them, but what I have seen has looked okay. I think it's... There's plenty to there's plenty to improve on. There's plenty of work to be to be done. But you know, the, I, th- I think that's the thing is with all these teams that they you know there's there's potential in all of them. You look around. That's why so many games are so appetising in in Serie B. I think because you can you know they've you've got clubs with with big history or big recent history and they are mixed in with a few with a few surprise packages and that everyone would like to see I, I always like a Serie A that's got you know a good geographical mix a good and if you're going to say a, a club from Sicily you know it almost has to be Palermo that's the the one you would like to see in there so you'd like to see the same as I said about Cagliari you know you'd like to have a couple of island sides in the top division I think it just gives a, a feel you know like a like a Giro d'Italia it just gives you a taste of the the whole of Italy being in the top division I don't know if you know if you were hand picking what the perfect Serie A would be but for for me certainly I'd, I'd always like to see it have a good geographical spread and and you know those couple of teams from the islands in it as well, just to give that extra flavour as well. Yeah, well, so many Sicilians in the Italian diaspora around the world. So, you know, I think the stats are the 6 million Italian, regular Italian speakers on a daily basis outside of Italy. A lot of them were Sicilian families that immigrated to some of the, the Western colonies years and years ago, talking six, seven decades ago. So definitely in Australia, 
there's a huge Palermo contingency of fans and Sicilian football, and there's even Sicilian football, the the Twitter profile and the website. So people that want to follow and, and get up to date with all the Sicilian clubs, there's loads in, in Serie D, not too many in Serie C, but Palermo is the only representation in the top two divisions. And Giancarlo, great point. I'd love to see them back up there. It kind of reminds me, like when we see a Venezia come back or a Palermo or uh, now it would be a Genoa, it's kind of like, considering I come from a, a music background with nightclubbing, it's the idea to bring back a nightclub that was cool 10, 15 years ago because you used to go there and now you're old enough to buy it yourself and then spruce it up a little bit, get a cool DJ in there and next thing you're open again and back in business, but you bought it for a pittance. Bring back the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these clubs just remind me of that. So Palermo is one of those clubs. Bardi is another one, of course, and we've seen them down doing well in the third division, now doing rather well in the second division. Uh, Cagliari are the shock for me. I just I can't believe with what they've got in the tank. Uh, you, you know, we can't sort of write off Matteo Brunori's performance for Palermo, nine goals in Serie B now. He's been able to get up to nine goals uh, relatively easy. I mean, he's top scorer now only because Kedida was away on World Cup duty. He was by far and away the top scorer in Serie B at the beginning of the World Cup. Brunori has now caught him and they both have nine goals. We'll go through some of the other top scorers. There's Liozzi with Pisa. He's an interesting player. He was with Como last season, seven goals and an assist. Poyan Paolo with Venezia with six goals. So thankfully they brought in Poyan Palo, and tell us a little bit about him. He's from Finland. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, uh, Marco, would, my cousin, would be the man to tell you more, but I've seen a bit of him, and what he what he likes about him is his directness. I think he gives something, you know, that kind of, it's a bit of a stereotype, but, you know, I think we think of sort of the, the Northern European players as being more physical, more direct. I think he's given a cutting edge to um, Venezia's attack that they, you know, they, they lost a few players. They needed that. And, you know, uh, I think sometimes uh, Marco says he, he gets it wrong. He doesn't do the right thing, perhaps. But his attitude is always a good one. It's always one to try to break down a defence, to try to attack. And, I mean, I, I joke with him that it's not a great name, Poyan uh, Palo, to have the goalpost as part <laughs> of your name when you're a when you're a striker is not is not ideal. But he should been, be a goalkeeper. Yeah, but he's been finding the he's been finding the net pretty regularly. You know, and they needed that. Um, having seen sort of the having lost their Okerekis and Henri's of this world that have have moved on um, and are scoring goals elsewhere, then Venezia needed somebody to be the kind of the, the goal-scoring outlet, and he appears to be it. And as I say, he's got this sort of bullish approach to the game that can, you know, batter down defences and really and break things up. And that's that's quite refreshing sometimes. And Italian football can be quite tactical, can be quite measured and thought out. And you sometimes need just one of these crazy Northern Europeans to go in with their, you know, refreshingly <laughs> kind of British attitude, if you want. I'm just, I'm just going for it and uh, and giving it full, full pelt, full aggression. And so, yeah, no, he's done a good job for Venezia, really hit, hit good form for them as well, and they, they desperately needed it. Nine goal involvements 
in 17 games, six goals and three assists. He comes over from a spell in the Super League in Turkey with Rizespor. That's his breakout season. He's 28 years old, so he's a ready-made striker. He's, he's kind of like a Matteo Brunori where he's come in, now he's doing a good job. 16 goals last season in the Turkish Super League, which doesn't have the depth that other leagues would have. However, the, the top half of the Turkish Super League is quite competitive. Uh, we always see them do well in Europe. Um, some big names there with Fenerbahce, Galatasaray. We've, we've seen Balotelli playing over there. Got Pidlo coaching in Turkey now as well. By Leverkusen, he was with Union Berlin, Hamburg, uh, Dusseldorf back in the day. So, And Venezia fans, that's one of the positives of the season. Along with Calgary fans is Gianluca Lapadula with half a dozen goals as well. Odogu's got six for Sutirol. Dior with Modena. And Massimo Koda, who left Lecce, got them promoted with 20 goals last season in Serie B. He's gone over to Genoa, six goals and two assists. So, you know, he's quietly just cruising in stealth mode. I think he'll he'll still get into double figures quite easily this season. Probably still division's best striker. Uh, I'm not sure what you think of Massimo Corda, but unfortunately we didn't get to see him in Serie A, but Serie B, it's good of Genoa to to go for Corda. I think he was a, a good signing. Yeah, yeah, and he'll, he'll learn plenty under Gilardino about scoring goals as well you know if you want a man that's uh, uh, an underrated goal scorer then uh, Gila was certainly that man I don't think he's got much of a reputation I mean even in Italy but outside of Italy and yet if you look at his record um, he's been one of the best goal scorers of the last 20 years in, in Serie A so if you want a, a tutor to um give you in the expert art of just finishing off a goal I think Gilardino's a good man for that different to you know Inzaghi was all about being in the right place at the right time Gila was more about getting his body into the right position just finding a way to um, get the ball into the net not, not spectacular goals but just ways of, ways of getting goals and you know very affectionately thought of in, in Florence so if he can pass any of that on to, to Coda then you know he'll, he'll only get more goals I think but he's a good good player already but um, you know Alberto Giladino spectacular striker and, and I think Overall, yes, I agree with your assessment of him, but he did score some absolutely stunning goals, especially in his stint with Parma, not taking anything away from Milan and Bologna and Fiorentina when he was there. Part of that World Cup squad, he laid that assist off for Del Piero to score against Germany, and also he scored against the USA with a really good header. But getting to modern-day football, I guess we could call it contemporary football, uh, Massimo Corda, six goals this season. In the past couple of seasons, he's scored 44. Two goals in Serie B in the last two before leaving Lecce for Genoa. He's never really been a Serie A man. And it, it kind of reminds me of Fabio Pecchia. He got Cremonese promoted and then decided to not take them into Serie A. He wanted to stay in his lane in Serie B and he's taken on the Parma project. And Massimo Corda is that kind of player. He's staying in the second division. He scored uh, 22 goals for Benevento in, in a season in Serie B. He scored four for them. In Serie A, so he kind of knows his limits at 34 years of age, and he's had two good seasons for Salernitana in Serie B with 17 and 16 goals as well. One of the division's supreme strikers, I guess we could say, Poyampolo, another one to look out for for uh, people looking to watch more Serie B. 
Uh, outside the top eight, I guess my pick to challenge for a top eight spot here. I think Suterol, they might fade if they just don't have enough petrol in the tank. Tadnana maybe as well because they'll be a little bit gung-ho. I'd love to see Padma in the mix again to come back up. It's kind of like your little recipe for the perfect scenario for Serie A. But, you know, it's pretty perfect scenario for Serie B, this combination we've got here, 20 teams, and they're all strong in their own right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, as I say, it's just uh, in every weekend there's a two or three standout fixtures. I think this this week's games, I think, Barry play Genoa, that's going to be an absolute belter of a game so probably probably nil nil now that I've said that <laughs> but um, you know I think there's just there's always these little intriguing stories you know you have to maybe dig a little deeper it's not always you know it's not over the papers you know Serie A we, we know all the um, all the little tales that are there where it, but there's there's always some intrigue some interest in in, in Serie B and, and just you know with the sort of the the deposed giants, the ambitious clubs, you know, we had, well, Monza come up last season, Como's obviously got money behind them, you know, so there are there are teams with um, new money, I suppose, teams with old money, there are there are big name managers, there's, um, there's all sorts of interesting aspects to Serie B that, that really, once you, I think once you get into it, it's like a, you know, a good book, once you get into it, it's, uh, it's quite hard to put down. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. And another game there, Ascoli and Regina, that'll dictate, it'll reinforce Regina's position at the top or it'll give Ascoli, it'll open that door for them to, to enter the top eight. And I guess Suterol in Modena, who knows what's going to happen in that game. Let's predict I'm going with a 2-2 draw there because somehow Suterol just end up drawing a lot of games and they've always been scoring. So Frosinone, Tadnana, first versus eighth, Venezia Parma there. Uh, Parma leaky as well, so Venezia with a real chance there at home at the Penzo. So, well, I guess we could leave it there. Giancarlo for our Serie B chat. Have a good Christmas. Yeah, Buon Natale. Eh? <laughs> buon Natale, okay. Well, thank you for joining us for this Lega Football special with Giancarlo Rinaldi. You can find him at Jinkers on Twitter. We'll be back with that interview series with Hakan Sukur. You can find me at David Farini underscore on Twitter. You can follow the pod at Lega Football. I'm sure you've all got your Antonio Di Natale sweaters on for the Christmas season. Buon Natale a tutti. Ci sentiamo. This is Lega Football.